0: Hey everybody, I wanna tell you about Danny Kerrigan. He's an incredible friend, a great man of God. They've been around mid-cities, he and his wife Amanda, for 12 years. They've been married for 30. They have incredible kids, Cade and his wife Amy, Bryce, Leslie, Sam, even a little multipoo named Poe. Uh, Danny, you may not know this about him, but he loves to whistle, he whistles a lot, and if you're in luck, you might ask him for a serenade after his message today let me just tell you though they are faithful servants danny serves uh in our kids ministry he served uh the le- every week during second service in our elementary ministry he serves wednesday night for ksg leading kids small groups and they have poured themselves into our camps over the years uh, these guys have an incredible personal story of god's faithfulness and i've gotten a front row seat as their friend and pastor in that Um, And I know that you're going to be blessed as he shares what God's put on his heart. From the pew to you, let's welcome Danny Kerrigan.
1: Good morning, Mid-Cities. Thank you for letting me take a little time this morning to share a part of my family's story with you guys. We love this church and all the friends we've made here and it's an honor to share our lives with you. In preparation for my testimony today, I came across the following two verses from the book of Habakkuk, which I thought were a good introduction to what I wanna talk about this morning. At a time when his world seemed to be falling apart, Habakkuk wrote in Habakkuk chapter three, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I recently came to a new understanding of a word that I'd heard many times, the word rejoice. I thought it just meant like yay, throw a little party, you know. I thought it was a little bit of a cheesy churchy word, honestly. But I listened to a Tim Keller sermon where he said that to rejoice is actually the act of taking stock or remembering who God is and what he's done. So we'll use Tim Keller's definition today. So I hope to rejoice with you this morning, and I hope God's words and the story he's been writing in my life will bring strength to you when you need it the most. 2012 was a big year for the Kerrigan family. Amanda and I had three healthy kids. Cade, the oldest, turned 16 and gave us another driver for a busy family schedule. Bryce finished his seventh grade year on the track team throwing shot put. Leslie was eight A sweet and feisty little sister, proud of her two big brothers. Our prayers to foster and adopt a child were answered with the blessing of Samuel, a newborn. We got that call on March 27th while the kids were at school. We picked up Sam just an hour or two later. He was only one day old. We put him in his new car seat and drove straight to a track meet to pick up Bryce and a friend of his We surprised them both with a new little Kerrigan. It was exciting and fun. The kids loved being Sam's big brother, being Sam's brothers and sisters. It seemed like we all just shared the joy of holding him and learning how to do this baby thing again. At the end of school programs that year, Kate and Bryce quickly realized that holding, carrying around their baby brother, Brought them lots of attention from the young ladies. (laughs) In the summer, I got to take Bryce on a mission trip with me to Uganda and Kenya. We served together on a medical mission in Kenya, visited a home for street kids in Nairobi, and went to Uganda to spend time with some lifelong friends who were missionaries there. At the end of that trip, Bryce turned 14 And after an exhausting two weeks together, I remember we somehow were the only passengers on a bus trip for a five hour drive to the airport in Kampala. And instead of stretching out on an empty row, Bryce, he chose to sit next to me the entire trip. And we just talked about everything that we had seen and done. God had been at work in all the kids' lives. We could see the growth. Bryce went to youth camp after our mission trip and brought a few friends along with him. He was on fire that summer for Jesus. At the end of the summer, on the last day of August, we sent Bryce off with a school group on one last summer adventure. They were headed to Zion National Park for a long weekend. He was excited, and we were excited for him. Cade stayed home because he wanted to run in the first cross-country event of the season, and Leslie was happy to be home with her cousins and grandparents who were visiting for a long Labor Day weekend. At 4 a.m. on September 1st, the phone rang. That's never good. We didn't get to it in time. Maybe someone misdialed, we hoped. Before long, the house phone rang, and we answered it quickly. It was someone we love and care about, a leader on Bryce's trip, calling to deliver the worst news of our lives. Somewhere near Tuba City, Arizona, at 2 a.m. on September 1st, there had been a terrible car accident, and Bryce was gone. It felt like a bomb had gone off in our world. Everything was thrown out of order. The birth order of the kids had changed. The baby Samuel was now living in a world of grief and loss. Leslie had gone from being one of the littles that year to being big sister that fast. Our world was in disarray. Kate had lost his best friend, What would we do? What would life look like after that? The night of that terrible phone call, I heard the faintest little question creep into the back of my mind. What if there is no God and no meaning to any of this? But God is so faithful and his spirit is alive inside of each one of us. And before that terrible question even finished in my mind, the Holy Spirit shouted into my soul, no! And that doubting question was gone. The grief was still there. The loss was still felt in millions of ways every day. There was a lot of wrestling with my faith that had to be done, and I'm thankful for that. I'm not talking about wrestling in a bad way. It's the... It's the wrestling where we continue to grasp God's words in new ways, his goodness, and how our lives fit into his plans. In the midst of the devastation, God was there. He never left, and he's been walking with us all along, not taking the loss or pain away, but helping us to see him through it. He's used so many of his words to help remind me of who he is and what he's done to help me rejoice. But for now, I'll focus on just a few from the book of Hebrews. There's a sort of faith hall of fame in Hebrews chapter 11, which talks about people like Noah, Abraham, and Moses living by faith. I won't read the whole chapter, but I want to focus on a few passages from it. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 8 through 10, 13 through 16, and 39 through 40. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive his inheritance, he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. And By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him to the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their country, or their God, for he has prepared a city for them. These were all commanded, commended, Verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better, that only together with us would they be made perfect. This beautiful passage hits on so much of what God has been teaching me these last 11 years. First, this life, it isn't it. This book, the Bible, was not written for a vapor. This isn't our home. We're strangers here. Nothing here belongs to us. If we're holding on to the things of this life, then we're holding on to a mist. It is so short-lived, our life here. Whether it's 14 years or 90 years, it's gone like the mist from our breath on an icy morning. Think about that for a minute. It is our real life that is eternal. That's the life for which we were designed, the life with him. Second, God is absolutely and perfectly in charge, and yet He's always with us. Job 14:5 says that it's he who determines the numbers of our, the numbers the number of our days he is worthy he is perfect he is holy he reigns absolutely his shoulders can bear that weight he can handle our blame our questions our doubts our fears our anger it's called lament And you see it all over the Bible. We can take it all to him. And there's no one else who can bear all of that. As we've read the Psalms, we've seen some lament. And at times, it looks a lot like complaining. And God can handle it. We just need to keep bringing it to him and trust him with it all. He has a plan. And his plan is eternal. And third... Lord, come quickly. I have a beautiful family. I'm proud of them. So many of these things I'm talking about today came from my wife, Amanda. And how many of you know that the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the believers that are around us? I'm lucky to have her. We struggled out loud together, talking about the loss of Bryce, the other friends of ours who lost a son in the accident, And our friends who were injured, we rejoiced, as I now understand it, together taking stock of God's words, who he is, and what he's done for us. The Lord has blessed us with such amazing friends, people of faith who love us and have stood by our side now and then. And there are so many wonderful things around us, but this isn't our home. It's not complete. Everything good comes from above, as scripture says. I firmly believe that the very best things of this life, friendships, family, nature, laughter, adventure, all the very best things have an in him quality that's pointing us to our true hope and our true home. And this vapor of a life is about that eternal life. And his promises always ultimately point us to eternity. So remember again that rejoicing doesn't mean we're glad about what happened. It means we remember who God is and what he's done. We can rejoice in the midst of grief. So I want to rejoice with you today through one last passage from 2 Corinthians Chapter four, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is is eternal. Thank you for rejoicing with me today. God is always good, even through the worst of our troubles. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for everyone here that when their trials come, when times of grief come, that they will experience the beauty of remembering who you are and all that you've promised. I pray that in you we will remember that you are our shield and our very great reward. I pray that together we will long for our
0: true home in glory and with you, amen.